Hello everyone once again, welcome to <laughs> Reason for Hope. Very glad that you're joining us today. Reason for Hope is an hour-long broadcast. We're live and we're here to take your questions on the Bible, God's Word, the Bible. That's right, you can send in your questions through uh, the multiple platforms that we have where we're streaming live. Send them in through the, the chat functions. I will be uh, watching for those questions and we will throw them out here to our guests today and delve into the Word together to find the answers those questions so it could be a verse or passage of scripture it could be something that you're going through in your life or have been through and you'd like a biblical perspective you'd like to know how to honor god in in what you're going through or maybe even christianity as a whole you have questions or other worldviews and religions um, any honest question that you have we welcome it as long as you know that we're going to use the bible to find the answers so those questions not our opinions or, or our thoughts but um, as close as we can to God's word as we can possibly get with his help. That's what we're all about at A Reason for Hope. My name's Dave Robson. I'll be your host today. And like I said, fielding all those questions as they come on in. And with us today, once again, we have Pastor Peter Martin with us and Pastor Bo Willett as well. How are you guys doing today? Doing well? Great. Doing good. Yeah. Thanks for being here and being back with us. It's awesome to be on again. Yeah, it's very exciting. We never know where things are gonna go. It is guided by your questions, as I mentioned. So, uh, well, once again, we're with you Monday through Friday um, from 5 to 6 p.m. We're here in Tucson, Arizona. That's where we're broadcasting from. It's an outreach ministry of Calvary Christian Fellowship here in Tucson. So if you keep that in mind when you're trying to find us, that will help you out, Calvary Christian Fellowship here in Tucson. And if you're in the Tucson, Arizona area, you're more than welcome to come check us out. If you're looking for somewhere to fellowship, we're near Prince and I-10 on the west side of the freeway. It's a pretty convenient location. Uh, also very beautiful, a wonderful business park that we have. <laughs> Maybe not so, but very convenient location. <laughs> we certainly make, make the most of it and we are blessed. Uh, so yeah, come check us out if you're looking for somewhere to fellowship. Um, but for the purposes of tonight, if you go to calvarychristianfellowship.com and go to that watch live tab right there, that will take you to our live page. Whenever we're live, we stream there. So our services here at Calvary Christian Fellowship and other events we have, even memorials and things, you'll find us live there. You'll see um, a uh, schedule of upcoming events and a countdown to our next event but when we're live you'll see the video you can sign in with a username and be part of the show through the chat function right there so the direct link for that ccftucson.online.church if you type that into your your uh, address bar it will take you to that page or again follow the link from calvarychristianfellowship.com take you to the same place uh, we're on facebook as well calvary christian fellowship of tucson or facebook.com slash ccftucson don't forget to like and share. We'd appreciate that. And that's another way you can get a, your question to us through the chat box right there. Just put your question right there and I will be uh, receiving that loud and clear. Um, yeah, Calvary Christian Fellowship on, <laughs> on Facebook. Once again, like and share us around. If you've been blessed by this ministry, that's uh, one way that you can um, help us out by sharing that around to other people as well. We have an app for your mobile device. Look for Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson in your app store. Look for that red background with the uh, white Calvary Chapel Dove logo. There are a few Calvary Christian Fellowships around the world, so I think there's a few apps on there. Every time I make a mistake, Peter laughs at me, and I, I receive it as a personal challenge <laughs> <laughs> to be absolutely flawless in my presentation. Um, also, we have a channel on Roku and Apple TV. We're going to switch one day. You can be the host. You can feel my pain over here um yeah on roku and apple tv we have a channel if you look in your channel store uh you can add us as a channel on there and then watch us on your big screen if you have those devices or a roku stick or something like that you will find us there as well 
We're on YouTube as well, of course. We're live there right now. And our channel is A Reason for Hope. It's called A Reason for Hope on YouTube. If you go to that uh, live tab, anytime we've been live, it archives there. So if you missed the show or you'd like to recap, um, you can do so right there. And we, we post our uh, services there as well. Once again, anytime we're live, you'll find us there. A Reason for Hope on YouTube. Don't forget to like and subscribe and click the notification bell and all those things. That helps us out on YouTube and helps you out as well. Keeps you informed of what we're doing. Gives you a little reminder when we go live and all that stuff. So A Reason for Hope on YouTube. Our senior pastor here at Calvary Christian Fellowship, Scott Richards, he's not with us uh, today. He's usually with us Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, but he'll be back with us next week. He's on Twitter, Scott R for H is his handle. That's Scott R for H, letter R, number four, letter H. And he posts highlights from the show. He posts kind of commentary on world events and things going on. <coughs> Excuse me, as it pertains to end times things, end time things and prophecy and that kind of stuff. And some tomfoolery and shenanigans too. So. If you're on Twitter, follow along with Pastor Scott, Scott R4H, you'll find him there. We're on Rumble as well. We post an archive uh, of our shows and some other videos there, Reason for Hope, Bible Q&A. If you're on Rumble, that's kind of a newer to us platform. <coughs> Excuse me once again, but I cough over here. <laughs> so if you're on Rumble, you will find us right there. And we have an email address. You can email us anytime, questionsforhope at gmail.com. That's questions for hope, all spelled out with letters at gmail.com. If you're listening to us on the radio, Reach Radio or another radio affiliate, welcome. Drive safely if you're on your drive time. Uh, bear in mind that you are listening to the last show that we did pre-recorded, so we're not live with you per se, um, but you can maybe join us some other time on one of those other aforementioned platforms. But email us there, questionsforhope at gmail.com. Anytime we get to those questions as well. How'd I do? Pretty good? Yep, great. Yeah. Minus. I don't know if I'm getting B minus. Okay, that's pretty good. I think it was a D last time. <laughs> <laughs> D's get degrees. D's get degrees, not, not <laughs> over here, doesn't it? Um, well, why don't we, uh, before we get into it and the questions, I think we're going to pick up on a question that we, we ended with yesterday, but we always like to pause and pray, ask the Lord to bless and guide. So I don't know, Peter, would you like to pray today? Sure. Would that yeah. be all right? Too much to ask? No? I got it. You got it? <laughs> awesome. uh, Father, we love you. We're grateful for you. Thank you for our opportunity to, to be here, to be able to look at these questions from a biblical lens. I do pray that uh, we would be able to answer these questions the way it honors you, that those listening would be encouraged and uh, just uh, brought up in their faith and their understanding of who you are as a result. Mm -hmm. We're grateful for you, God, and in your name. Amen. Mm -hmm. Amen. 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 Well, we, we came right up to the time yesterday, but we were talking about, we had a question about roles. Um, roles of man and woman and <coughs> if it's okay for a man to stay home while the woman goes out to work or goes off as a missionary and Bo you were sharing that that uh, females have an amazing role that only they can do in bearing and raising children <coughs> yeah nursing children yeah, yeah I think my point was is that we have to um, you know look at the obvious first and that is there are some things just biologically that are different between male and females and uh, and the difference does matter in the world. Uh, it's not like these differences shouldn't be looked at or shouldn't be taken seriously. Mm. Um, and uh, my whole, I think, talk about what the Word of God teaches is that um, you see a real emphasis on, in the Word of God to, uh, to, in a sense, brighten that um, part of a woman uh, that makes her super special and that she can't have a child. Mm -hmm. 
And so the Bible emphasizes that. And it doesn't emphasize it, though, at the exclusion of her ability to labor and to make money. So it, it's not a either or right. in the Bible. It's a both and mm. in the Bible. Yeah. The only stress that I, I ended with is that you don't <coughs> um, neglect, um, you know, your children. Yeah. I mean, St. Augustine made a really interesting argument in one of his books that what's fundamentally wrong with us is not that we want wrong things, it's that we want right things in the wrong order. And I think that's actually very accurate. So, for instance, you know, if someone likes to be healthy, that's a good thing. But if someone likes to be healthy more than they like their family, it's a bad thing. (laughs) Or if someone likes pleasure, that's a good thing. But if someone likes pleasure more than they like to be controlled, uh, that's a very bad thing. So... Uh, what you're saying is that it, it's not necessarily wrong for a woman to want to work and to provide with her hands or to pursue career, or something like that, but it's wrong for her to want, want that above her primary role as being a mother, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, being a mother to the, the children that are produced within the home. And same thing, it's not wrong for a father to want to be more connected to his kids and to be home and present more often. Um, it's wrong for him to want those things more than his role to provide and to protect his family in a real way. Yeah, at the expense of. Right. You know, and, and it really comes down to, well, I think what St. Augustine was, was getting at is something really important, and that is our instincts tend to go uh, awry. Right. Uh, and so you have an instinct to maybe um, keep your family um, from dying by earning a living, mm-hmm. but that instinct... Uh, to provide can even go astray and we can become very hyper and maybe do it out of fear and so we become very vigilant to the point of where we neglect Mm. and uh, and so it it goes for male and female right but you know role it's funny like people like when I wasn't a Christian I would always like rag Christianity for this talk on roles Mm. You know, it would be one of those great super topics for Mm. us secular progressives to kind of get at with the Christian, you know, teenagers, you know, and just be like, you guys are so lame and old fashioned, old fashioned. And man, you guys, you know, just it's just lame, prudish, whatever it is. Um, But what's funny is us, our atheist uh, masters of the universe didn't do much better or didn't do very well at all either when it came to their ideas on roles so it's not like Mao was like you know had this really awesome you know philosophy on female roles and male roles you know in China or it's not like Stalin had this really awesome viewpoint when it came to roles or even Hitler it's not like these guys like through their secularism like or, and, you know, had some kind of amazing, you know, philosophy. Yeah, and uh, you and I did a podcast on this uh, where I read two really instrumental figures in uh, moving this conversation forward. One was a guy named Jean-Jacques Rousseau. The other was named uh, Mary Wollstonecraft. And Rousseau was coming from an atheistic, secular, progressive, atheistic uh, worldview. And Mary Wollstonecraft was actually coming from a Christian worldview. And contrary to what many people today would believe, Mary Wollstonecraft was the feminist, and she was arguing from Christianity why feminism worked. And Rousseau was actually arguing for more of a patriarchal, institutional worldview, and he was coming from atheism. Right, so Jean-Jacques Rousseau, Jean-Jacques 
Je, Jacques <laughs> Rousseau, right. was coming at it from the idea of, of kind of, you, you know, however it, things play out yeah. is however they play out. So his, his idea is like, well, we're just animals. And when you look at the animal kingdom. <laughs> no one's bagging the, on the. That's right. The, the, the male lion, he's going to get his, and he's going <laughs> to chill in his den, and he's going to let the women get all the stuff. You know, when I was in college, I was always <laughs> waiting for that, that, you know, philosophy class where people would be like, you know, the morality of the black widow. Yeah, <laughs> to eat her husband. Yeah, yeah to, you know, but I noticed there was no like major debate yeah. over the morality of animals. Right. No one ever even mentioned it. It is funny because a lot of atheists today, they select particular animal behaviors and like, well, this is a precursor to us taking to the, the, like find one obscure <laughs> species of chimp right. that say like rears their kids in a loving way. And they're like, well, that's a precursor to us taking care of our kids. And they ignore all the other apes <laughs> that like beat and molest their kids. And they're like, We're, that, 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 that's not really what's going on. Like that, that, that's the ape that we evolved from, not these other ones. Right. Know? So yeah. if, you're, if you're out there driving and you're like, what are these guys talking about? Well, what we're saying is that Christianity is talking about roles for right. female and male. And, and you might feel weird in, as a Christian, going like, oh man, I feel kind of old-fashioned in talking about this. But the point that me, uh, Peter and I are making right now is that it's not like the secular atheist have some, some you know, uh, great, uh, you know, role philosophy. That's coming uh, from their neck of the woods. And it's really sometimes pretty brutal. And what Mary Wollstonecraft was actually arguing against is she believed that that worldview, the secular atheistic worldview, would eventually erase the goodness of women. And only Christianity would preserve the dignity of women. And so her argument went something like this. She said, well, whatever someone can naturally do well is what they can excel at, right? That's just common sense. So, like, for instance, for you, you excel at music. You know, you might be okay at certain other facets of life, but you excel musically. So I, you could either be an excellent musician or you could be like a subpar, uh, someone who makes pots or something like that. Well, what would be best for you? What would be best for you is that you move into the areas of your life that you're excellent at and not restrict yourself to the areas that you are merely mediocre at. And what Mary Wollstonecraft said is, what are men excellent at? Right, things that men are just naturally better than women at in just a generic sense. Not that every man is better than every woman at this, but in a generalized sense, what are men better than women at? And she said men are generally stronger than women. And she says, okay, so if women are put in a position where either we're just in the animal kingdom, like Rousseau was arguing, or we're supposed to be equal with men, as some of the other feminists were arguing, she said, if we try to be equal with men, they're gonna beat us. If we're playing a man's game, they're gonna beat us at that game and it's going to erase women. And she said, if God has given us a biological advantage at something, it only makes sense for us to play to our excesses, right? To play to the things that we excel at. And she says, what do women excel at? Well, we can have kids, we can nurture them, we can raise them. Doesn't mean we can't do these other things. Mary Wollstonecraft was incredibly intelligent. I do encourage people to read her book because it's, it's incredible, but it's just that we're not going, in other words, she's saying, if we compete with men, we're not going to be able to outcompete them in the workforce or in labor force or things like that. We're only going to be useful to a society in an excellent sense if we are primarily the caregivers for children and homemakers. Now, later on, in about maybe 100 years after that, you have a woman named Simone de Beauvoir 
who wrote the book The Second Sex. And in it, she says, what is it that makes a woman? And she says, what makes a woman is not her womb, but essentially it was her, I'm, I'm not gonna use the actual word because I don't think I can, but essentially it was her pleasure organ. You know, she says, that's what makes a woman. In other words, it's what makes a woman is not her ability to procreate through sex. What makes a woman is her ability to enjoy sex. So Simone was arguing that women need to play men's game and they need to be better than men at it. And she later on said that we need to actually force women not to become mothers because if too many women become mothers, they'll choose that over going into the workforce and will never beat men at their Yeah, and this is, this, is kind of, this is kind of the background into today's, um, if you will, role confusion. Right. Um, this is where it kind of stems from is this kind of idea that she's, she brought about. That's right, that, that women and men are interchangeable. <clears throat> And therefore, there's nothing, we're not supposed to look at what makes a woman special. And think about how weird that is, that we're not looking at women and saying, isn't it amazing that women can actually bear children and yeah. then nourish them with their bodies? Yeah, and, and, and what I find so fascinating is how contradictory we are with this, is, is like we can look at the animal kingdom and we can find, uh, see, watch a, a National Geographic show that is showing a birth of a giraffe and we can be like oh my heavens that is amazing and yeah. how awesome life is and boy isn't it great the circle of life and blah 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 and we can we can kind of parade how you know beautiful the natural world is right. and and then we can have such a disconnect in the way we talk about human beings mm -hmm. in the progressive world so it's like in progressive philosophy, we're sitting there talking about animals and how great they are. We put in all the money into the shows on National Geographic to show just how beautiful the world is and how amazing, quote, evolution is and all this stuff. And we just parade it, parade it, parade it. But then right when it pops into human beings, it's like, nope, yeah. no, we, like women really aren't that valuable because of a womb and being able to take care of a child, what makes a woman valuable is her, her ability to produce and to have pleasure like men. And it's like, and it's an incredible male complex. Right, and that's the, that the just, weird thing is, is yeah. that it's the promotion of masculine values to the detriment of feminine values. So, you know, when you watch movies today and they're trying to write a strong woman, right? The strong woman is going to be a stoic, unemotional, brazen woman, and she's definitely, definitely, definitely not gonna be a mom, right? Where mm -hmm. you look back in the day, like one of the, the great female protagonists back in the day, I'll give you two, one would be Sarah Connors in the Terminator series, and the other would be Ripley in the Alien series. And in both series, you see them as mothers, like that's the whole point, right? So Sarah Connors, what makes her the heroine in the first mm -hmm. movie is not that she's some hardcore, you know, trench coat wearing, you know, like military <laughs> soldier, but it's that she is protecting and nurturing the life that's going to represent the future of humanity. And then in the second one, they kind of undid that message and made, her, made like, her the trench coat wearing. Right, right, yeah. right. Uh, but uh, they undid a lot of their own messages in Terminator 2. But anyway, in, uh, in Alien, same thing. You have like a demonic kind of inversion of birth happening where the aliens impregnate the men and they burst out and kill the men. And I, I see that as like a symbol of like, men can't do this. And that's what is causing the society to fall apart. And then Ripley ends up, especially in the second movie, she, she becomes like the surrogate mother 
for this little girl. So you see this idea of like, what's a strong heroine? Someone who does femininity the best, right? Today, it's no way, right? The, the strong women are not mothers and they are definitely not taking any like femininity into their character qualities. They are these, like I said, stoic characters that only excel in combat. That's what makes them strong. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I, yeah, it's good. I mean, we could go on more, but do we have some questions we should get at? We do, okay. we do have questions, yep. yeah. Um, and some, quite a few along these lines as well as we go along, but yeah. um, we had a question from Mac D. It's, um, I guess June is uh, Pride Month starting tomorrow, right? June is that I'm the month. I'm proud. For the, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah proud I, don't, I, don't, I don't know if pride is a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> Let's have sloth month. <laughs> I know, it's totally. Lust yeah. month. And Humble yeah. month. Yeah. Well, I'm talking about no. <laughs> But uh, anyway, Mac, this, I mean, this is an issue that we're seeing a lot in this yeah. world, but um, uh, Mac said he worked with a, 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 tra a transgender person, girl to boy, um, and he says that he treated them as a, a person, you know, but in my heart I felt uncomfortable and judgmental. Is this wrong? And I, so I guess the question is how? How should we treat, I shared with Bo before the show, I was in a store with my daughter and the guy at the checkout was a man, um, but had you know, purple hair and kind of makeup. And as we walked away, my daughter said like, oh, she had, I really liked her hair. And I said, oh, it was a man. And she said, no, he had, you know, she had she, her pronouns on the name tag. I didn't notice that, but. Um, you didn't? I didn't notice it. Was no. the first thing you looked <laughs> for just, was the pronouns? I just looked at his face and talked to him. But you small-minded. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so so how, yeah, what is our response as this? To how do we, I guess, the, the question, Magdi, how do, if we work alongside these trans people that to us maybe would be a man, but they've become a female and they want to be called that and treated that, how do we respect that but minister to that? How do we handle that? It's always, I'll start with just this. Um, it's always more difficult to minister to people who have sin problems that are easy to spot, right? It's much easier to have relationships with people that have sin problems that are harder to recognize, right? So it's much easier for me to hang out with the guy who struggles with greed or just internal pride than it is to hang out with a person who is clearly addicted to crack, right? That, that's always more difficult to, to deal with because their sins are so externalized and they're so obviously different and uh, opposed to what we ought to be, that it's hard for me to lovingly communicate with that person and grow close to them. Um, also, external sins tend to be more immediately destructive. So it's easier for us to judge them more harshly mm. and to once again move away from them. Now, none of that is correct though. So I, I think one of the main passages that I like reading is James chapter one, where he talks about uh, not showing partiality to the poor or to the wealthy. So it'd be easy for someone who is wealthy to look at the individuals who are poor. And, you know, let, let's say, for instance, that the people who are specifically pointed out here are poor for their own bad life decisions, right? That, that, that's obviously not true. Not everyone who is poor is because of their own life decisions. But let's just say that that's what's going on, that the wealthy people are judging the impoverished people because they feel that their poverty is a result of their bad life decisions. And so they see the lower class, like they, they speak, right? The people in the lower class speak and like the blue collar kind of speak. It's unrefined language. It may be a little coarse in the way that they joke and things like that. Their clothing is, is going to be less- A little Jesus-like. Yeah. <laughs> They're going to be a little bit more dirty, less hygienic, right? Yeah. And, and so James is saying, it's so easy for you to look at that person who's impoverished and assume that they're worse than you. And he says, let the poor man glory in his exaltation. Right. And the wealthy man glory in his humiliation. 
So um, I, I think you're flipping to that right now, are you? Yeah. Or, yeah. That's a good passage. No, I was just thinking that that's, that's awesome. Yeah. So essentially, like, what I get out of that is, is once again, I, I think you're right, Mac, to have both emotions within you, that you, you want to follow James 1, right? You, you want to look at this and say, I, I don't want to uh, essentially show partiality to this individual who has this more externalized sin. But at the same level, I have this natural guttural reaction to their sin, and that is correct because what they're doing is wrong. So how, how would you say that we balance those things in interacting with people? Yeah, um, you know, I look at Colossians a lot, chapter 3. It says, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you must do. Um, you know, and I, I get something from this passage in, in Colossians 3, uh, verses 12 through 13, and that it's this, that these things should be a part of the Christian's life. Um, <clears throat> just as Christ forgave us, we need to learn how to walk in this Christ-like way. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not an avoidance of truth. Jesus never compromised truth. Right. And, and that's what you're getting at, you know, obviously with um, being bummed out maybe at someone's behavior. Um, if you didn't get bummed out at someone's behavior ever, then you would become a quite an individual. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a very uh, probably um, selfish individual that's not really caring of anybody. Mm-hmm. So we all, everybody it, at some point cares about another person's behavior because people can do potentially harm to, to them, uh, to you or to your family and so there needs to be an awareness of how other people are behaving and we all realize on this planet whether you're left right up down whatever you are that you know we are going to judge people's behaviors and that that is something that we should be doing Um, we should have an attitude with it as christians like for me growing up in socal you know i grew up with a lot of people you know in club life that dressed up all the time as girls guys um it was just super common i didn't really even think much about it half the time because it just was the norm it was the common kind of thing that you saw in the clubs that i hung out in and um and and so i never really um saw uh like saw them as in a sense different than me in the sense of they're human beings and they're human beings made in the image of God. Um, the Bible says that all people have been made in the image of God, male and female, he created them. And yet that image has been scarred by sin. And, and that's not just for the person who's dressing up as a girl or the guy or the girl who's dressing up as a man and even going through some kind of um, hormone blockers and trying to get their bodies to go with the, where their brain's taking them. Um, you know, they are, they are human beings and they are people in, because they're made in the image of God, there should be a dignity that we have of other human beings, um, you know, because they are made in the image of God. It doesn't mean we don't, we don't look to their behavior. We're not bummed at behavior. Again, yeah. that would be um, a given, you know, we, sh- we all do that. Um, but we should also 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 remember that people are made in the image of God and that we should be able to, as Christians especially, 
you know, be able to look at a list like Colossians chapter 3, starting at verse 12, and say, hey, can I put on tender mercies? Can I put on kindness? Can I put on humility in this talk that I might have with this person? Can I put on meekness? You know, meaning I might come from a strong uh, position intellectually, meaning I might have the upper hand in the argument, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be meek. I'm not going to just use my intellectual strength here to just start, you know, piling on someone. Yeah. You know, I'm going to be tactical, if you will, you know, bearing with one another. You know, these kind of ideas, you know, we have to be patient with people. We have to be able to get into their world, talk to them. Um, what I've always found <clears throat> in, in the culture I grew up in was <clears throat> everybody's really the same. And, and I know that sounds weird to a lot of people, probably in the Christian community, but just hear me out. You know, the Bible says that we're all fallen yeah. and that there's no one good and no, not one. And, and I, 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 I have only met fallen people on the planet my whole life. <laughs> um, I haven't met anybody who's not. Yeah. Um, I've been to John MacArthur's church, fallen people. I've been to clubs that are pretty gnarly. Uh, fallen people and um and it's funny it's like people all have different needs in their life yeah. they have insecurities they have all these instincts that have gone astray um they have amazing fears mm -hmm. you know you walk into a church and people have tons of fears and they they and that's really what motivates them and they're even in their faith life is a lot of just weird fear and insecurity and, and then you go into a club life and you find the same issues in, in them as well. And, um, you know, sometimes we, you know, I think what I would say to this person is that what you don't want to do is just get into this demonizing of a particular group. You know, it's easy to get on YouTube today and just kind of go over the train, like some transgender videos that, you know, videos that maybe are opposed to transgenderism, you know, and I don't even like the term transgender. I mean, I'm not going to get into that now, but um, I, I just don't like the term. I don't know if it's really an accurate term, but, uh, but, you know, you can watch a couple videos and then you kind of get all bent at that community, you know, yeah. and you almost look at everybody as like lump them into this community. Mm -hmm. It's almost like taking every person <laughs> who's gay and saying they're a part of LGBTQ plus. And, and, and that's just not true. There's a lot of people that are gay that are not part of some political LGBTQ thing. They don't wanna be, you know? And so you have to be careful that you don't just, I think, demonize, yep. you know, a group of people. You have to look at, you know, if someone's at your work Look at them as an individual, pray for them yeah. and, uh, you know, and reach out to them, yeah. you know, get to know them, get to know why they're doing what they do or what they think, or, yeah. you know, um, yeah, it's unfortunate that, um, you know, it, it doesn't sometimes, uh, sometimes us Christians don't do a very good job of being open to talk to someone, yeah. you know, well, I think the, the main mistake we tend to make is that we want to address the behavior thinking that that will lead to salvation somehow you know that if we just you know say we could just ban homosexuality right oh, what a victory but if people aren't any closer to christ it's not a victory right at all and so we focus on that i need to make this 
person not be transgender, but we, we want to lead people to Christ, you know, yeah. and, and, and first, we want that first. Otherwise, what are you offering them? Just stop doing what you're doing for no reason <laughs> other than it makes me more comfortable because of my beliefs. Right. We want, we want them to know Christ. And we see that in Jesus, that he, the way he treated people, the, the prostitutes and the hated people, the tax collectors, he treated them in a loving, accepting way and got in trouble for that, for hanging out with these people that were unclean and dirty. Yeah. And yet to the people, the Pharisees who were supposed to be the religious people, he treated, you know, the, the harshest of all. Yeah. And I think there's a word in Christianity that uh, we have a problem with today. Um, and that's called uh, tolerance. Yeah. Um, in, in Christianity, it's almost become like a bad word like to be tolerant. Yeah. We tend to think it means like acceptance, you know? Right. So like if you're tolerant, then you're accepting of the behavior, right. you know? Where when someone's patient, tolerant, and understanding, you know, and we link those three words together, patience, tolerance, and understanding, we can start seeing some clarity where it's not that we're saying that, you know, everything you're doing is right, yeah. you know? But we're saying is that I'm willing to be tolerant, you know, for the sake of progressing in our conversation yeah. or in our friendship or something. And, and I think um, at, it, at one level, yeah. um, everybody really understands how to do this. But because, again, these external sins are so kind of in your face. Yeah, totally. Forget. It's like I, I would hope that everyone listening to this who is a Christian has friends that are not believers. <laughs> and so they don't know God. They don't have a relationship with God. And so their their behaviors that are against God are things that they don't feel bad about and they're very open about and they may even be very proud about those things. Now, when you have a friend who, again, is not under the authority of Scripture and you're trying to um, just have a relationship with them because, A, you love that person. That should be the primary reason why you want a relationship with them. But number two, because of that love, you're, you're wanting to introduce them to Christ because that's the best good for them. But um, you have understandings of what the person's behavior is like. And this is true also for believers, right? You get to know someone, you, get to, you start seeing their fallen nature. You start seeing their sins. And you have to draw boundaries around those behaviors. You have to say, like, okay, I have this friend who has this, you know, he's good for most times of the day, but, you know, when he goes to this particular club, I don't really want to be around that person anymore, <laughs> you know? So that part of his life, I'm kind of, I'm drawing a boundary around it. If he invites me out to the club, I'm going to say, no, no thanks, man, you yeah. know? Or, like, there might be another friend who, you know, I might trust him in many different areas, but... I wouldn't invite him over to my house because maybe the way he talks or maybe the way, you know, he yeah. wouldn't be a safe person to be around my kids, right? So we understand this at some level of what level, A, do I confront someone about their behavior? Because if I was going to confront every person I know about everything wrong I see in their life, I would have no friends, right? I have to have some sort of a threshold to let things go and to maybe bring them up in an opportune moment in a loving and, uh, you know, diplomatic way. And then I also have to, have, so there's a threshold of when I bring things up, how I bring them up, and then there are boundaries of what level am I going to participate with that behavior and refuse to participate with that behavior. That's something that we just naturally do. Transgenderism is no different, right? The boundaries may look different because it's a different type of sin, just like if I befriend someone who has a, let's say a cocaine addiction or something like that, my boundaries around that person and my relationship with them are going to be much stricter than the average person I have around me. But it's still the same basic principles. 
Yeah, yeah, no, no, totally. You're at, I mean, I, I totally concur with that. And, you know, Paul says in, in the book of Corinthians, he says, hey, you know, those that are sexually immoral within the church, uh, I'm not going to dine with. Right. Paul says, if, right. meaning if, and what he's getting at is like, if, if, I, if they just don't want to admit that what they've done is wrong and that it's a sin and that it needs to be changed in their life, yeah. then he says, you know what? There's no reason for me to dine with such a person, yeah. right? They're just mm-hmm. stuck in their thing. They're, gonna, they're stubborn in it, you know? But he says for those people that are in the world, yeah. he says, what, like, like, we can't judge them that way, yeah. you know? Or that's else, what the term you used, um, n- not under the authority of Scripture. I think that right, was the term not you under said. The authority of scripture. And there is that that's distinction right. in yeah. how we treat and view people. Yeah, that's right. So um, you know, another thing that helps me out too, and this is radical. I'm just gonna be a little, a little nutty here, <laughs> here but no, but <laughs> here we go. <laughs> yeah, but it's just this: is see, I realize, I, I really believe that human beings are utterly fallen from, from God. Yeah. like totally depraved mm-hmm. like i believe the word when the word says we are lost i right. believe it right. like i uh, there's no good in me that dwells no nothing it says yeah. right and and i believe that it, it's not like i i believe that a little bit mm-hmm. it's not like i think oh yeah that's a little bit you know i got a little bit of depravity yeah. no all yeah. Everything. Or you've got better over the years. You've got, <laughs> yes, you got yeah. a little, you're almost yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. Like, like, John, like John Piper says, you know, we've made some steps along the way, <laughs> yeah. but little steps, right? right? And, and, and we still have so much to go, meaning, you know, even as you go, you still realize just how far away from the infinite God you are. Mm. And, you know, to, to look at someone who is transgen or going the transgender route or, or has gone through some kind of surgery or whatever like that, and to not to not see that you they are human and that you have the capability as a fallen human being to do that as well and this is this is the radical part is like if you can't see yourself in that then i would just challenge mm. you and just say hey do you do you really believe that you're fallen mm. and that you really are depraved um you know, because I think what happens to us is we get to places where we, we go, oh, I would never do that. Oh, lo- those people are, oh, I'd never, never, never. But, but we just don't understand that in a sense, you know, we're just as messed up in our own. Jesus needed to die for us. You know, we needed atonement for our sins. Yeah. And so I don't, I, I see myself in a realistic way just a very realistic way in, in that, that I can, I can be a mess. You know, I thank God for the church. I thank God for his grace and his mercy and people and, and all the wonderful accountability and everything like that. But, uh, you know, uh, there's no, you know, I realize I got to be in that grace every day. Um, and so I think if you forget that you can really, you know, get into some judgments where you tend to yeah. think that you're just a better, you know, right. you're better, right? you know? Yeah, that's yeah. really good. That really helps us with our heart and the approach to people as we minister to people. And that's, the, that's really what James is getting at, you know, let the, the poor person glory in their exaltation. What does that mean? That no matter how messed up you are, no matter how, yeah. you know, destitute, either impoverished spiritually or impoverished physically you are, 
he's saying that there's an exaltation there and that you're made in the image of God. You're a human being with dignity mm-hmm. and uh, excellence because God made you. And you are someone who the gospel is extended to. You can have a relationship with God. That's an exaltation. And to the rich person, no matter how great you are, <laughs> no matter how holy you are on the outside, no matter how together your finances are, you are depraved. You're utterly depraved. And you're in need of a savior at the same level as the other person. Mm-hmm. So that humbles you. And that balance is, is what helps us to relate to people. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Well, more questions we have coming in. Here's now for something completely different. A question from Mabel. Um, when the new heaven and earth is created, will there be water? It says no more ocean, but will there be water and fish, etc.? And will we know, also will we know everything without being God? Thanks. So what do we know about the new heaven and earth? Will there be water? Yeah. Water, fish, sea creatures, such things. Yeah, very good question. So we don't actually have a ton of information about what heaven is like. We know that it is on a reconstituted earth. That's what we get from Revelation chapter 21 and 22, which is what you're quoting in your question. And in Revelation 22, I believe it is, it does mention the fact that there is not going to be any more ocean. But it does mention rivers, right? There, yeah, a river, river of water, a life. That's right. So there are waters. <laughs> and uh, uh, one way that I have interpreted it, meaning one way that I understand why there's no more ocean, is obviously, again, it's not an absence of bodies of water, but it is an absence of oceans. Now, when you look at oceans and their role on the map right now, primarily what they do is they just separate land masses, right? So when you go on the ocean, yeah, going on the beach is really cool, but you swim out a couple miles into the ocean, you realize it's just dead space, right? It is, it is like a desert, right? Nothing lives there because it's just too deep. Uh, the only things that can live are the things on the bottom of the ocean that are deprived of sunlight. And so you just have these mass bodies of water where nothing's there. Uh, and then you get to the next kind of landmass, and then you have life again. Yeah, and our life cycle is based off the ocean too, right? Like the, the oxygen and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. So what I would assume is that in the new heavens and the new earth, God would want to prioritize kind of maybe people and relationships. And so there might be just more land on the earth and less water. So it doesn't mean, again, that there's no bodies of water, but maybe all the bodies of water would be reduced down to what we would see today as like lakes or something like that. Uh, that's just speculation. I don't really know. Uh, as for marine life, there's no reason to doubt that there would be marine life. Uh, the, in the book of Genesis, when God creates the earth according to his perfect plan and will, there's marine life and animal life and things like that. Um, again, this is a reconstituted earth. So that means that God's not subtracting things that are good. He is just perfecting everything that has been there. So uh, the marine life is a good thing. When God created the marine life, he called it good which would mean to me that he would keep it in his good plan for a reconstituted earth. Uh, the final question was, uh, anything you want to add to that or clarify on? I, I was going to say that in my studies, and you can study this a little more um, the person to the person who asked mm-hmm. the question. Yeah, Mabel. M- Mabel? Mabel, yeah. Yeah, uh, Mabel, you could study this some more, but f- from my studies, I've always, I've always remembered that in the, the sea was always considered a real kind of um, scary thing. Yeah to uh, Israel. Yeah. Um, Israel wasn't, uh, if I remember, they weren't you know, a seafaring people. Mm. Um, and so uh, the sea was a, a kind of a scary idea to them, you know? And I mean, for most people on the earth, even even like the Vikings, they had <laughs> right? myths of like the Kraken and stuff like that. So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So I, I, I don't know if that plays a part into 
you know, the, the new heavens and the new earth and this, this idea that there is no sea, if that was just a comfort to the Jewish audience <laughs> yeah. of like, man, yeah. thank God. Just little know? rivers and ponds yeah, and you know, lakes. Yeah. I could get that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> no sharks. No so. sharks in the rivers right. and the ponds yeah, and the lakes. Because, yeah. you know, I, I mean, the sea, I mean, growing up surfing, you know, the sea is beautiful. Don't get me wrong. I mean, there's a lot of, it's beautiful, mm, but it's yeah. scary. Yeah. It, and well, it's, and the flood. Hello. Yeah. The flood of Noah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, so um, I, I think there's something to that maybe. Yeah. That, Could be, yeah. Yeah, that maybe the, you know, just the Holy Spirit, you know, the, the book of Revelation is very Jewish um, oriented, the way it's framed, you know. Um, and so, um, you know, it feels very Old Testament-like when you read the book. Yeah. And, um, and maybe that's why it's inspired in that way to omit the sea. It just might be that the sea is, you know, if a Jewish person read it, they it might be like they might be like oh god yeah. <laughs> that's scary don't want to go there yeah. yeah that doesn't sound like heaven you know because it's such a scary thing huh. yeah. but um, that's in my this is just Mabel these are just things that I've studied before yeah um, so um, it's it's a neat thought something to maybe look into yeah. a little more that's a good yeah it's an interesting perspective and yeah, then she, yeah she had a question as well um, it's in first, first Corinthians First Corinthians 13, right? It says, we, we will know as we are known. Yeah. A question is that will we be all knowing in heaven and, um, you know, not necessarily like God, but to what extent will we, will we know everything or will we just have a greater wisdom or will we be like God where we will know? It's a good question. Know? There's a lot of debate in Christian circles. You know, some people believe that because we'll be perfectly unified to God, we'll be perfectly unified to his omniscience which means that we will know everything in, in essence. So the example that I use is, is kind of like a computer. So this computer right now, it has a limited hard drive, but if I attach it to the internet, that capacity for it to know things now increases mm. almost infinitely, right? Because it's attached to something that has, it's not an infinite amount of knowledge, but for all intents and purposes, it seems infinite. Now for God, it would be the same thing. We, we would still have our finite kind of consciousness but it would be unified to an infinite consciousness so that we would know everything. Um, other people would think that we would still be able to learn in the new heavens and the new earth. So all Paul is really getting at in 1 Corinthians 13 is we just we know God perfectly. We have a perfect re relationship with him. Mm -hmm. He's not necessarily saying that we know everything, uh, which I think would be kind of cool. It would be kind of cool if we could still kind of explore and discover things in the new heavens <laughs> and the new yeah. earth. But we just, yeah, it, there's... There's a little ambiguity there. Yeah, in verse 11, when it says that when I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, and, and thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. Now, obviously, it's not like a man uh, doesn't need to grow anymore. Right. And, and so Paul's not saying that men are, like, no longer needing education, yeah. you know, because they're not a child, you know. And so if, if you take his kind of example and you moved it into, you know, okay, going into heaven. It's not like you cease to be a human being. It's not like we graduate into like angelic hood or mm. something like that. And that's what a that's a that that's been a, a, a kind of a, a popular idea actually yeah. for a long period of time, is that you kind of graduate from a human being into another um, kind of person, another type of being. And obviously this is big in, in groups like the Mormons 
where you graduate into becoming like a different being. Yeah. You, you become God um, and you kind of graduate. You go through these kind of stages of being. Yeah. And in the Bible, you don't see that we're going to graduate into a different stage of being. So we are human here and we are human there. Mm. And in the book of Hebrews, it stresses that, that you know, Jesus, mm-hmm. uh, you know, has become, took a, a body like us. And that, that actually humans have a really interesting divine place mm. in God's kingdom and the structure of his kingdom. And that we actually will be judges of angels, yeah. and, and and so it's it's very interesting, you know, um, because sometimes we think that you know, oh, we're going to graduate and become a different being, mm. but, but no, we're we still see us in heaven in Revelation chapter four and five um, as human beings, yeah. and so we haven't we're we're not some kind of different being. Um, and therefore, you know, I, I mean, because of that, I see that, you know, humans will have, because you're with an infinite God, the only way you can be God is if you are the infinite. That's what makes God God, is yeah. he is the infinite. Right. So obviously I'm not going to be another being, so I'm not going to be the infinite. So there's obviously going to be a some kind of growth or and i would imagine any any eternity's worth of growth you know meaning it it, it will go, my expanding of the knowledge of god uh would just go on and on and on and on because god's infinite and uh and so i you know um you know you shoot a light you know from a point and it just goes yeah. right and it just keeps going and I would imagine that's how it's going to be with me. I'm just going to keep going mm. and growing. Um, um, but in comparison to where I'm at now, it's it's going to be like a child and an adult. Yeah. Does it, it, so mm-hmm. does that make some sense? Yeah, it does. Yeah. yeah. Like, uh, like how Pascal puts this, uh, unity joined to infinity adds nothing to it, no more than one foot to an infinite measure. The finite is annihilated in the presence of the mm. infinite and becomes a pure nothing. So our spirit before God, so our justice before divine justice. There is not so great a disproportion between our justice and that of God as between unity and infinity. So mm. Pascal is a mathematician. He's trying to help people understand what does it mean for the finite to unify itself to the infinite. And he's saying our addition to God doesn't actually add anything to him because he's infinite. Right, <laughs> right. You can't, right. You can't add to infinity. However, because you're finite, you going into the infinity, it's actually, it doesn't make you infinite. <laughs> you're, right. You're like you, you're, you're moving towards it, but you're not actually infinite. You're just unified to it. Right. And he's trying to help people understand that, that it's, it's annihilating you, but not in the sense that it's annihilating you and you cease to exist. Mm-hmm. It's annihilating you in the sense that all of your progress, once you see the infinite, you're like, Oh, like, I, you know, right. it's like, it's like nothing, you know? Yeah. So even if I, and this is hard to wrap my minds around, even if I progressed for an infinite amount of time, I would still not be God, right? I still wouldn't be infinitely right. like God because there's no 
amount that I could add to myself to become infinity. Right, to be like him. Right, to be like him, which you, is, it kind of boggles the mind, but that's the concept there. Yeah. 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 You missed the beginning part of the infinity. Right. Yeah. yeah that's right. <laughs> yeah. And only God is infinite, right? Only that's God, right. everything else is created. That's amazing. Um, question from Diana. So along, along these lines, I think, uh, she says, hi. Hi, Diana. Thank you for being part of the show. Uh, thank you for your thoughts on the environment. Something that I find interesting in Revelation saying, God will destroy those who destroy the earth which actually brings me hope. Doesn't that inherently mean that humans are in fact destroying the earth? I do believe that environmental uh, de de degradation is due to sin and that sin, I absolutely believe, is causing climate change. I also believe God called it uh, before it was so. So I guess the question is how, you know, should we be environmentalists? Because there's a thought that, you know, the world's gonna burn, so what's the point in trying to take care of it? <laughs> and the other thought that we should be taking care of the ozone layer and the seas and save the turtles and all that stuff because this is God's creation. So yeah. which side of that should we be on? Is it something in the middle? Well, let me read the passage and then um, okay. all right. I'll let you, you kind of get into yeah, wh it a little where bit. Is it, where is it at? So this is uh, Revelation 11, verse 18. But okay. Let's start in verse 17. So what's happening is God is about to blow the seventh trumpet. Uh, and I'm not going to get into that because it's not really necessary for our uh, discussion here. But basically, 24 elders, which might be angelic beings or representatives of the church, we're not really sure, um, they start to sing a song. And they say, we give you thanks, O Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was and who is to come, because you have taken your great power and reigned. The nations were angry, and your wrath has come in the time of the dead, that they should be judged, and that you should reward your servants and the prophets and the saints and those who fear your name, small and great and should destroy those who destroy the earth. Mm. So um, there are a couple ways to take that. One way is that there's some sort of an environmental act, uh, um, aspect to this passage, but the other one would be that they're destroying God's perfect creation, right? Meaning that they're ruining the earth. They're ruining God's plan for the earth, in other words. But it, it, I think it's a fair approach to the text to say that God might have um, aspects of judgment towards people who are cruel to his created order. Now, remember that mankind was called to subdue the earth, right, to have dominion over it. And so if we misappropriate the resources of God, that is something that it would be sinful, right? There, there are prohibitions against, say, um, eating particular animals or treating the land in a particular way uh, because God does care about these things. However, um, I think there are different ways to take the environmental issue. We don't, we don't have much time, but w what thoughts do you have on it? before we wrap up today um i know how much time we got because i just want to be About very three minutes three minutes three oh minutes, man yeah. well i would say in short um the heart is absolutely awesome of the person who's asking the yeah. question yeah. um diana you know i think i do uh you know christians obviously have a should have a incredibly uh wonderful um and glorious um idea of the world mm. And the creation and appreciation appreciation it. and the grass yeah. and everything like that and to uh, I, it's definitely an issue that we should not just say like you know this doesn't matter no it does matter mm. um, we just have to be careful in today's very sensitive political world that we don't jump on a um, political issue 
and we don't really understand if if this is really helping the earth or whether whether it's not because right. those are a lot of there's a lot of controversy yeah. in today's world of really what's helping the earth and what's really not helping the earth there's a lot i could say about this right now it'd take a lot longer than three minutes but maybe we could start tomorrow with it yeah maybe mm -hmm. yeah we'll be on lord willing tomorrow maybe, maybe we can get into a little bit of this um um, but that's, I'll stop there. But I, I do think that, uh, you know, she's tracking right with just, uh, if you read the Bible, you obviously want to take care of the planet. Right. I mean, yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't see anywhere where it would say, you know, <laughs> don't care for it. Yeah. But, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, God's just going <laughs> to annihilate it anyway. You know? yeah. so, like, I mean, it's, it's going to burn. I mean, yeah. we see that and we right. see God's going to, God has it reserved by fa fire. But would, yeah. would anybody say that, well, God's bad for. Right. For, I mean, no one would take know. that logic anywhere else. It's like, well, my car is going to break down one day, so who cares? You know, I'm just going <laughs> to like drive it into poles and stuff, or you know, this body's going to fall apart, so I'm just going to eat junk food and you know, smoke yeah. crack. It's like because some people well, have that attitude, yeah. right, like right. genuinely, you yes. know, yeah, it's all going to. I mean, whether it's an excuse just to abuse themselves and right, being right. debauchery, but I've heard people say that. Oh, it's all you know, temporary and no, you know, I think, just a tent. I think we need to look into things. I, I think it's actually, it's the opposite. It's like, because something is finite, that makes it fragile. And because it's mm. fragile, you should give it care. If something was infinite and indestructible, you wouldn't have to give it concern or nurture, right? It's because of the fragility of what we're looking at that we're called to such a high imposition to care and to nurture the things around us. So, um, yeah, we can get much more into it tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. It'd, be, it'd be a neat discussion for sure. Yeah, so you guys will be back tomorrow and we can pick it up again like we did today. Well, thank you for being part of the show. Um, Meg and Diana, your second question. And Annie, sorry we didn't get your questions. But if you want to join us again tomorrow, we can uh, get into we'll those. We'll do it. Again, we'll do it. We will. <laughs> we will do that. So thank you for being part of the show. Great questions today. Uh, stick around. We're going live again. These two guys are going to be uh, teaching our service here in about half an hour. So join us for that if you'd like to as well. If not, see you tomorrow. Thanks for being part of Reason for Hope. You've been listening to A Reason for Hope. Thank you again for joining us as we continue our journey through God's Word, one question of the heart at a time. Until we meet again, we would love to connect with you. You can text or email your questions to questionsforhope at gmail.com. You can also find out more about our ministry at calvarychristianfellowship.com. And be sure to join us next time on A Reason for Hope. A Reason for Hope is an outreach ministry of Calvary Christian Fellowship in Tucson, Arizona.